The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. The birth of Christ is on everyone's mind around this time of the year, and my mind has been drawn out to a passage of Scripture found in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. That's an interesting phrase, fullness of the time. Today, we're going to begin to look at what this means and how that Christ's birth came at just the right time and was the fulfillment of God's promises. Join us for the first part of this message today, but first we have a song selection that we hope you enjoy. Joy to the world, the Lord is
Turn to Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 4. Some very familiar passages if you're a Bible reader. In, in Galatians 4 and verse 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I want to preach to you this morning about the fullness of the time. And it's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? He said, in the fullness of the time. It's pointing us here in these passages to some important truths, some very essential basic doctrines contained here in these three passages. And, and I think it's important for us to look at it. So let's do that for just a little while. Notice what it says here. It was the fullness of the time. Now, now what that tells us is, is it's, it, this, this wasn't just any old time. This wasn't just another night. The time of Christ's being sent forth, and that's his birth. That's his birth in Bethlehem. The time that he was sent forth to be born of that virgin, when he was, um, he was sent forth of God, it was the fullness of the time. Now, now think about that for a moment. The word fullness means that which is or has been fulfilled or has been filled up. It's the idea of completion. It's the idea of being uh, filled up or when it comes to time or time periods it has the idea of something coming to pass it comes from a verb that means to make full or to a completely accomplish looking this word up in Thayer's Greek lexicon uh, the Greek word it, it also carries this connotation this definition it refers to that portion of time by which a longer antecedent period is completed, hence completeness or fullness of time. And the idea here is that something has been completed. There's a time period that has been filled up, has served its purpose, and now in the fullness of that time, something else has come on the scene. Now, it says it was the fullness of the time. Now, what time? What time? It was the Old Testament time, the time when God had set forth a, a certain way for the, his people to worship. He had revealed unto them certain truths. And, you know, one of the things that you'll, you'll discover in Scripture as you go, if you do a full study, just read through it sometime. Even if you're not, you know, maybe going digging deep, just read through the Scriptures because it's so important that we have a grasp on what's What's in there, you know? And I, I've heard it said one time, you know, read Habakkuk. You may meet Mr. Habakkuk on the streets of heaven one day, and he'll say, how'd you like my book? You don't want to have to hang your head and say, well, I never read it, you know. <laughs> I heard a preacher say that one time. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's, I'm sure there won't be any shame in heaven, Brother Mackey. But, um, but still, it's something to think about, right? So the time that, so what, what we find in Scripture is a progressive revelation of Christ. It starts off from the very beginning, from the very first 
times in the Garden of Eden, uh, and we're going to see that in a few minutes, God begins to give little insights to the, to the first coming of Christ and ultimately the, the, the final coming of Christ. But it's a slow revelation over time. That's why he called it a mystery. It wasn't a mystery in the sense of, oh, we can't figure it out. It's a mystery in the sense that it was revealed little by little. But they had enough. They had enough that they should have known. Again, we'll come back to that in a moment. But, uh, but the idea here is that, that the scriptures have been slowly but surely, the Old Testament scriptures revealing Jesus Christ. And there was a certain way they worshiped then. There were certain ordinances that applied to them that no longer apply to us today. Because this was the fullness or the completion, the filling up of that time. It was the fullness of the time. Look with me quickly just over to Hebrews for a moment. In chapter 9, you'll see what I'm talking about here. Hebrews is the whole book of Hebrews, which we're trying to go through on Sunday nights, is about how that we have it better today under the age of grace than they had it under the age of the law. Now, that doesn't mean God saved his people differently then than he does now. He's always saved his people by the grace alone, by, by the sacrifice of Christ alone. It's just that the way we worship him, the way we work out that salvation today is different than it was back then. Back then, it required all kinds of ceremonies, ceremonial aspects to the worship, ritual cleansings, all that kind of thing that went on. And you can read about those in the Old Testament, but today we don't have that. Praise God. You see in chapter 9 of Hebrews, he's talking about that, the first covenant. He said, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. And he goes on to describe that, the tabernacle, the table, the, the candlestick, the showbread, and the veil and that sort of thing. And he goes all the way down talking about the cherubim in verse 5 that sat over the mercy seat. And, and it says in verse 6, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. They went in and out of that first part of the tabernacle. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of his people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, there was a way they worshiped then that demonstrated that Christ had not yet come. Christ had not yet shed his blood for his people. He had not yet fulfilled the covenant of redemption. That didn't mean that it wasn't already applicable to them because in God's mind, he stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In the eternal halls of heaven, we were just as justified in the Old Testament days as we are today. And by the same methodology, which was Christ alone. But the way we worshiped then, if we had lived back then, was different than what we do now. But notice in verse 9, he says, which was a figure for the time then standing. That's what the Old Testament worship was. That's what these times that are about to be fulfilled, the fullness of the time, the fullness of that Old Testament time is coming to pass. And God's timetable is about to take over. It's all God's timetable, but his timetable for Christ entering the world is about to begin. He said, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances. All those things sound so tiring to me. You know, it's, it's strenuous enough 
to prepare to preach and to prepare to moderate the service. You know, if you're a pastor or a preacher, it's, it's strenuous, but it's nothing compared to what the high priest had to do. And those old Levitical priests, I mean, I'd had to come in here with a certain type of clothing that had been washed in a certain way and had a certain hat. I'd had to wear a hat. I don't, you know, that's be weird to see me up here with a big old hat. I see, I see, I see denominations today that seem like they want to go back to that old way of worship. Their, their preachers, you know, have certain clothing, they wear hats, they have to stand up and sit down. And listen, I'm not trying to criticize. If you're part of that, if you've, been, if you've ever been a part of that, people there are doing the best they know how. Most of them, there's some out there that know better, but most of them are doing the best they know how to worship God in the best way. But I don't want the Old Testament ways. I'm thankful for the New Testament because it says here all these old meats and drinks and diverse washings, they were imposed on them until the time of Reformation. That word Reformation, that Greek word that's translated Reformation, only appears one time in Scripture, and it's right here. And what that word means is a standing up. It literally means a standing up. And what, what it's talking about there is that there was a way that they were doing it up to a certain point that was really just a figure or in one place it's called a shadow of the good things to come. But when Christ came, it was the fullness of the time. It was the completion of that time. And it was not just any old time. It was the time that God had appointed for him to be here. Which brings me to another point. You know, I trust, that we don't believe that God has predetermined all things. We, we don't, you know, this church used to believe in absolute predestination of all things. That was error. We do not believe that. We don't believe God has predetermined all things. But we do believe that God has predetermined some things. There are some things that God determined beforehand to do. And this is one of those things. You notice, you don't have to turn there, but if you read the story of Joseph and Mary going into Jerusalem in Luke chapter 2, going into Bethlehem rather, in Luke chapter 2, you read in there in verse 6 about when these days were accomplished. These days were accomplished. That means certainly her time to deliver the baby. But I believe it means a little, carries a little more connotation than we think about because these days, the fullness of the time had come, and those days had been accomplished. You know, turn with me just briefly over to Acts, and we'll read what I'm talking about here. As I said, Acts, the fourth, uh, 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 fourth chapter, I believe it is, beginning about verse 24, after Peter and James and the other apostles had been accosted by the Pharisees once again, and and, and talk, threatened and punished and that sort of thing. Um, they went back and reported all this to the disciples. And it says in verse 24, When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The king, now look at verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. 
Pretty impressive group here. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. This whole, the whole forces of evil in this world were gathered against the Lord Jesus Christ, thy holy child Jesus. Even on the day of his birth, they were gathered against him. You recall just a year or two later when the wise men came, you, you had Herod who sent, he, he wanted to know where he was so that he could kill him. And, and he ended up killing all these babies two years and under just to try to kill the Christ and God protected him. But notice what they really, they thought they were there to destroy the, the Christ child. They thought they were there to oppose Jesus and thwart his purposes. But notice what they were really there to do. Verse 28, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. As I said, we don't believe that all things were predetermined by God, but we do believe that some things were. And this is one of those things. There was a time that God had appointed, and it was the fullness of the time. See, it was the perfect time. You ever... You ever had an experience in your life or you hear about somebody that does say well it was a good thing but it was just the wrong timing you know you had that you had that happen I've had that happen in my life where you know back in about 1986 I had the best idea of my life I called a young lady named Sherry Fair and asked her to go out with me and she said no fast forward three years she said yes you know what the problem was I don't think it was me I know it wasn't her it was just bad timing. <laughs> the timing was wrong. I thought I had good timing, but later on somebody, actually we were set up, somebody else set us up. The timing, see, we get the timing wrong sometimes. But God doesn't get the timing wrong. God gets it just right. Now think about this. Think, let's, the, the, the historical conditions. Y'all know, know history is my passion. I, that was my major in in college, and I love it, and I go back every once in a while and try to listen to podcasts or reread, especially the history of the Greeks and the Romans. And particularly here a while back, I got in my mind several years ago, actually now, that I wanted to go back and, and follow the start from the beginning of the Roman Republic and, and, and just sort of learn some, go back and refresh on the history of the Roman Republic leading up to the time of its transition into the empire, which occurred uh, in about 26 BC. And, and just to sort of see, because I wanted to see about the conditions that were there and how we got there at the time Jesus was born. Well, one of the things that that study reminded me was, is that history is truly his story. It's truly God's story. God operates in history. He's not, we, we don't believe, we're not deists that believe he's sitting on his throne and has nothing to do with us. To, to sort of sum it, sum it all up, if you go back and read about the history of the Roman Republic and its transition into the empire, you're going to read that leading up, especially in the 200s and 100s BC, it was one of the most violent times in Roman history. Rome had conquered pretty much the entire civilized known world, except for the, those in the east and China and that place, those kinds of places. But the Mediterranean area, they had conquered it all and, and on up into, England, into, into the British Isles. They had, they had conquered France and Germany and they were, you know, they, there's no telling what else they might have done left to themselves. But it had been a bloody history. It was a bloody time. 
And, and then leading right up to the time of the transition from Julius Caesar and his assassination into Augustus, Caesar Augustus, Octavian, who took his place and became the true first emperor of, of the empire of the Roman Empire. It was a bloody time. It was civil war everywhere from Egypt and Alexandria, Mark Antony and, and Octavian began to fight. And it was just, I mean, there was, it was danger everywhere, okay? But beginning in 27 B.C., when Octavian won out and became the emperor, till about 14 A.D. particularly, that was the reign of that first emperor. It was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was the most peaceful time in the history of the Roman Empire and Republic, and it, as I can read. One of the most peaceful times. Now, we know later Nero and other bad emperors arose, and there was persecution. But think about this. You know, in that day, they had, the Romans were great engineers. They had, the, the saying, all roads lead to Rome, was literally true in that day. They'd be, everywhere they went, they would conquer people, and then they would start building road projects and other building projects, and, the next, and, and they could travel freely. I mean, think about, in that day, the road system stretched out from Rome in all directions, and it enabled Jesus to freely walk up and down the roads of Judea. It enabled Paul, the apostle, to travel wherever he needed to go freely. There was commerce, and there was uh, infrastructure that was there. I mean, Greek was the common language throughout the empire. You didn't have to worry about going to Syria and could you, you know, could they understand you? And, you know, they had, they just, everything, the, the, the circumstances of history were ripe for Jesus Christ to step out onto the stage of this world. It was the fullness of the time. It was the fullness of the time. And let me tell you, it wasn't just any old time and it didn't just happen any old way. See, God is a great superintendent of all creation. We've already talked about that. The Jews should have known. They should have been ready. You see, this was not something that God thought up at the last minute and said, oh, by the way, I'm thinking about doing something new in Jesus and sending you down there to be born of a virgin and to be crucified. I think that's the next part of our plan we'll implement. That's not the way it happened. You remember, Peter tells us he stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God is not, the, 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 the purpose of God in salvation is not a reaction to anything. Some people teach that God's purpose in salvation in sending Christ was a reaction to the fall of Adam. It was no such thing. God knew exactly what Adam was going to do and he knew exactly what Adam was going to need in order to be reconciled to God. And he had purposed it from the foundation of the world. He didn't cause Adam to do it. He didn't predestinate or predetermine for Adam to do it, but he foreknew that he would. He knew him better than he knew himself. And he knew what he would need. And the very first prophecy of Jesus Christ occurs in the third chapter of the book of Genesis over there. I, I, I'm sure you can quote it, so we won't turn there and read it. He says to the serpent over there, he says, he, he said, I will put enmity between thy seed, talking about the woman's seed, he, between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You want to know why there's enmity in the world today between the children of God and those who are not children of God? It's because it goes all the way back to the garden. He gave the promise to Abraham. He said, in thee all nations shall be blessed. Did he not? 
when Jacob was uh, blessing his sons over there, when he was on his deathbed, he looked at Judah and he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Capital S, Shiloh. I preached on that before, but just as a refresher, remember the word shallow comes from the word shalom. They're so interrelated and they're talking about peace. And that capital S shallow is the very embodiment of peace. The one who would come and who would make peace between God and man. You know, one of the verses that didn't really jump out at me early on, but eventually... I realized it was such a great statement and helps us to understand so many things about not just Christ and his uh, first coming, but also the kingdom of God that we dwell in today. It's found over in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God is speaking to David the king here. And in verse 12, he says this. He says, And when thy days be fulfilled... And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Now listen to this verse. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, you know, if you continue reading the history of Israel there, you'll know that Solomon was his son, and, but Solomon died. And then Sol, after Solomon died, his, the kingdom was split into two parts. And, and then there was all kinds of problems. And eventually the, the, the throne in Jerusalem was not even occupied. So, so what could he possibly be talking about there? What, that's not, obviously it's not a, a kingdom that's been set up forever in a literal physical sense. You remember when Jesus came on the scene? And he began to preach. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't talking about a literal kingdom. He wasn't talking about a physical kingdom. He wasn't talking about a political kingdom. He was talking about the spiritual kingdom that you and I now dwell in. Jesus Christ. Look in Luke chapter 1. Listen to this. Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. 30. Verse 30. The angel said unto Mary here, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. This is the time when Mary is being told she's going to be the mother of Christ. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Now listen, he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. See, that's the fulfilling of that prophecy that God gave to David. The Jews knew about that. The Jews should have known and seen that. They should have been prepared for that. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.